reports and other information. The committee was established by charter and receives audit reports and other information from the Denver Audit Office. The committee strives to bring greater clarity, transparency, and accountability to Denver's city government and its residents. It is also responsible for commissioning an annual audit of the city's annual comprehensive financial report. This committee is chaired by Auditor Timothy M. O'Brien. August 2022 meeting of the Independent Audit Committee. Um, I will note that there is a quorum present. And uh, first, next item on our agenda is to approve the July 21, 22, 2022 minutes. Is there a motion to approve the minutes? I move that we <coughs> accept the uh, notes from the last meeting. Second. Second. Thank you. Any discussion? All in favor? Aye. 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 Right. Any opposed? All right, just a note for the viewing public, today's reports can be found at denvergov.org slash audit reports. Audit reports are listed chronologically. Uh, the next item on our agenda is a briefing on the city equity programs and practices. Uh, we have Aisha Rousseau, Chief Equity Officer, and DJ Torres, the Deputy Director from the Office of Social Equity and Invest Innovation. Um, Dawn, would you like to introduce the audit team that worked on this assignment? Um, sure. Um, I'll do a quick introduction, and then Amy's going to go ahead and introduce Okay, great. Yep. Um, so thank you, Auditor O'Brien. Good morning, uh, audit committee members and guests. Uh, we chose to, to audit this critical function because it's important that the city builds a strong foundation for social equity, fairness, and justice throughout the city. Uh, the Office of Social Equity and Innovation is charged with leading those efforts in, on behalf of the city, as well as ensuring that it is a permanent part of city operations. Our audit provides recommendations to help the office strengthen that foundation as the office continues to carry out their mission. And Amy Barnes was the audit manager on the engagement, so she'll introduce her team and, and get the briefing uh, started. Thank you, Don. Uh, again, my name is Amy Barnes. I was the audit manager. Uh, we have Sean Wysong, the lead auditor, Tammy Rowell, associate auditor, and Katie Beverlin, senior auditor. Uh, before I get into the presentation, first I'd like to, to thank the Mayor's Office of Social Equity Innovation for all of their help and assistance uh, during this audit. Beginning on page one of the report, we note that many jurisdictions from the federal level down to the local level have committed to focusing on strategies that increase opportunities for historically underserved communities, which benefits everyone. The city of Denver has also made this commitment. In order to begin the, the strategic discussions, an understanding of associated terms must be established, which we define on page two of the report. Equity is the fair treatment access, opportunity, and advancement of all people, while also eliminating structural barriers and systemic racism. Equality is providing everyone the same treatment regardless of their demographics or needs. Diversity occurs when individuals from, from a variety of individual or group differences are represented. These differences include, but are not limited to, race, ethnicity, gender, gender identity, and sexual orientation. Finally, inclusion embraces individual differences by creating spaces where participants can contribute while being welcomed, respected, supported, and valued. 
Continuing on page two of the report, Mayor Hancock announced the city's commitment to, to, to equity in his 2018 State of the City Address. The equity platform included a race and social justice initiative to provide opportunities and tools for designing equitable city policies, budgets, and programs, and tasked the equity leadership team with overseeing and developing strategies to strengthen inclusion and equity citywide. The mayor's equity platform eventually led to the creation of the mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation and the signing of Executive Order 146. Pages three and four of the report Describe Executive Order 146, which was signed by the mayor in June of 2020 and outlines responsibilities of both the mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation and city agencies under the mayor. Specifically, social equity and innovation's responsibilities include developing, managing, and updating a strategic plan, collecting, reviewing, and analyzing data to measure the office's progress, and providing city agencies with equity, equity tools and resources. Responsibilities of executive staff and city agencies under the mayor include signing a citywide equity commitment, developing equity plans for their agencies, engaging in citywide equity scans, participating in learning and development sessions related to equity, and supporting equity teams. Figure one on page five of the report illustrates the development of the mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation. The office began as a division under the Agency for Human Rights and Community Partnerships before becoming its own office in September of 2019 and then being formalized by Executive Order 146 in June of 2020. Previous leadership modeled the office after the City of Seattle's equity program, along with guidance from the Government Alliance on Race and, <clears throat> Race and Equity, which provides best practices, tools, and other resources to help organizations advance equity efforts. As noted in figure one, staff from the Social Equity and Innovation were involved in the city's emergency operations center as part of the city's response to the pandemic and racial justice protests from March 2020 to April of 2021. The office experienced leadership turnover in July of 2021 when the original chief equity officer left the city and again in September of 2021 when the interim chief equity officer left the city. The newest chief equity officer began in October of 2021. Pages five through nine outline several programs and initiatives developed by the mayor's Office of Social Equity Innovation to fulfill its mandated responsibilities. The Race and Social Justice Initiative Implementation Guide was developed to help city agencies understand the mayor's equity initiative and how those agency employees would contribute to a success. The implementation guide introduced city employees to, city, to equity action plans. Through use of templates provided by social equity and innovation, agencies identify the current state of inequity issues, the future state, and what an agency hopes to achieve by incorporating greater equity in its processes and practices, action steps to include specific timeframes and responsible individuals, and finally, measures of success to determine whether those strategies are working. Social Equity and Innovation also developed the Race and Social Justice Academy to help all city employees gain the knowledge and skills to address racial disparities in city policies, initiatives, budgets, and programs. The Academy includes four courses as described on figure three of page seven of the report. The office also developed two dashboards to track its goals related to race, the Race and Social Justice Academy and the agency level equity action plans. 
Finally, in coordination with the city's budget and management office, Social Equity and Innovation developed a budget equity guide to help the city leverage its economic resources and promote equity outcomes in city programs, initiatives, and services. <clears throat> As noted on page 53 of the report, our audit objective was to determine whether the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation effectively designed, implemented, and evaluated its initiatives to achieve its mission, goals, and responsibilities. Also on page 53, we note the scope of our audit was to assess the design and implementation of social equity and innovations equity framework and initiatives re related to Executive Order 146, guidance from the Government Alliance on Race and Equity, and other leading practices for program design and strategic planning. During our audit, we reviewed documents and processes from July 2018 to January 2022. Page 53 of the report also details a scope limitation related to a consulting contract that we discovered at the end of our audit. In short, the consulting contract between the city and a business owned and operated by the former interim chief equity officer was not disclosed to the audit team during the audit. This contract's term was September 15, 2021 to February 1st of 2022. The scope of the contract included deliverables on areas we were auditing such as equity plans, equity indicators, executive order 146, and a draft ordinance. Overall, this limitation and the lack of disclosure of this contract impeded our ability to ensure we fully assessed how the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation implemented its equity frameworks and initiatives. Before turning the presentation over to Sean to, pre to present finding one, I'd like to open the floor to the committee and the agency for questions or comments. Questions? Sean? Thank you. All right, so starting with finding one from page 10 of the report, we found that the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation lacks a detailed strategic plan and other foundations for effective governance. Specifically, we found that previous officials in the office did not sufficiently document the office's original program design. Program design refers to how an organization plans to achieve its goals and use its resources efficiently and effectively. While the office reportedly researched equity offices in other cities, pre-existing equity initiatives in another city agency, uh, and guidance from the Government Alliance on Race and Equity to inform how the office was set up, current office staff could not provide any documentation of this research. Further, the office did not conduct a needs assessment to assess how the office can best align with and advance existing strategies and high-level directives, and to clearly describe the issues the office planned to address. City staff involved in writing Executive Order 146 said social equity and innovation was not developed in response to any specific need or event, but rather as a result of equity work being done around the country at the time, as well as research into other city equity programs. Previous office officials also did not design the office to fully align with the mayor's 2018 equity platform that asked for all city employees to make equity an integral part of the job. While Executive Order 146 was designed with the mayor's platform in mind, the city's use of an executive order limits the office's ability to make equity part of all city employees' jobs because executive orders do not apply to independent agencies not under the mayor. Additionally, the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation has not implemented a system to gather and analyze data or fully developed data collection procedures to monitor and evaluate the office's initiatives in alignment with leading practices. 
an advisor to the office said uh, tracking agency's equity strategies and the office's own equity indicators would allow the office to identify needs and address any gaps. But these indicators have not been implemented. Lastly, social equity and innovation does not have a complete logic model used to document program activities, uh, allocated resources, results, and expected outcomes. The few design documents the office did provide us did not include the office's budget equity review process as an activity, do not list expected outcomes for activities other than training, and do not specify allocations for resources such as budget and staff. We also found on page 13 of the report that the Office of Social Equity and Innovation has no detailed strategic plan or defined metrics to track progress. While the office does have a one-page strategic framework put into effect in January of this year, it does not fully comply with Executive Order 146 and leading practices for an effective strategic plan. First, we found no evidence that the office's strategic framework was developed in coordination and alignment with partner and stakeholder strategic, strategic plans or that it has key performance indicators associated with goals in a citywide strategic equity plan as is required in the executive order. The current strategic framework also does not have specific and measurable objectives, a clearly defined mission statement driving the organization's goals, strategies, and activities, key performance metrics, an action plan detailing how strategies will be implemented, and an effective method to analyze outside factors and stakeholder concerns that may affect the office's ability to achieve its mission and goals as outlined in leading practices. The Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation also does not have a consistent mission, goals, and strategies. Across two different strategic frameworks, the executive order, two city budgets, and other planning documents provided to us, we found six different mission statements. Additionally, most of the office's early planning documents are missing the fifth goal of its original strategic frame framework, while its newest strategic framework introduces four entirely new goals that are inconsistent with the previous ones. And social equity innovation's most recent strategic framework does not contain any strategies at all. Finally, neither, the office, uh, neither of the office's strategic frameworks contain performance metrics to measure the office's progress in achieving its goals. While social equity and innovation do track the number of agency strategies from racial equity action plans and the number of city employees trained in the Race and Social Justice Academy, these measures do not stem from goals in a citywide strategic equity plan as required in Executive Order 146. The office also developed a series of equity indicators designed to measure and improve racial equity in the city, but the office has not been able to implement them because it lacks the supervisory staff needed to approve them for use. Uh, additionally, on page 17 of the report, we found that the Office of Social Equity and Innovation has not clearly defined the roles, responsibilities, and day-to-day -day tasks of its staff or members of other agencies' equity, diversity, and inclusion teams. Office staff members told us they do not have many formal documents or policies and procedures to guide their day-to-day -day work outside the executive order. Instead, they said they relied on equity commitments signed by other agencies' leaders, informal guidance from presentations, implementation plans developed before the executive order was signed, and the vision and experience of their more tenured colleagues. Some staff members said their roles and responsibilities were difficult to differentiate from their colleagues and sometimes led to confusion between new and existing staff members. While staff members were given job descriptions before they were hired, these do not detail staff members' uh, specific tasks to complete on a day-to-day -day basis and implementation plans provided to staff outlining specific tasks to redesign the Race and Social Justice Academy and guide agencies on their, race, uh, on their racial equity action plans 
only provided specific duties for office staff from June 2021 through August 2021. And many tasks were, were assigned to all staff members without differentiating who would perform which part of an activity. Additionally, social equity and innovation does not have policies, procedures, or defined roles and responsibilities for equity personnel and other city agencies, such as members of agency equity, diversity, and inclusion teams. One agency team surveyed said their team did not receive communication or guidance on their roles and responsibilities. And office staff said equity, diversity, and inclusion teams received no formal training and are not provided with guidance outside coaching received from office trainers and strategists. After we shared a draft of this report, social equity and innovation provided us with some training documents for equity, diversity, and inclusion teams, but there was no evidence of any training from July 2021 to March 2022, the same time we conducted our surveys. Uh, and uh, as discussed on page 19, all of these issues, the lack of documented program design, the absence of formal policies and procedures, and the undefined roles and responsibilities for staff, occurred because previous office leaders did not prioritize creating them and did not document their knowledge or vision for the office before leaving their position. Office staff members said previous leaders would often conduct business informally and would not document meetings with other city agencies or share information with other office personnel. The previous interim chief equity officer told us they delayed some office initiatives, such as the creation of a strategic plan, while much of the office's staff participated in the city's emergency operations center to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. Although the pandemic did cause delays in the agency's work beginning in March 2020, discussions and planning for the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation had been un underway for nearly three years by that time, beginning with the recommendation in early June 2017 for the city's Race and Social Justice Initiative. Because the city's equity initiatives did not begin with a well-documented program design and other foundations for effective governance before the pandemic, Executive Order 146, which established the office's responsibilities in 2020, is often unclear. It also does not provide the office with sufficient authority to accomplish its responsibilities under the executive order, as we will discuss in greater detail when we cover finding two. Therefore, we make the following eight recommendations beginning on page 21 of the report. I will cover the first four recommendations before turning it over to the Office of Social Equity and Innovation for any responses they may have. For recommendation 1.1, consulting leading practices, the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation should review and update its existing program design and then document all elements of the office, including how it aligns with both Executive Order 146 and other citywide goals and priorities, its specific goals and strategies, a logic model specifying office activities, staffing, resources, results, and expected outcomes, and how it plans to monitor and evaluate the success of the office's programs and initiatives. Uh, sorry, you can also review an addendum we added in response to the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation's response to finding one on page 52 of the report. Uh, and for recommendation 1.2, uh, while reviewing and updating its program design as part of recommendation 1.1, the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation should conduct a formal documented needs assessment of the office and its initiatives to ensure it meets identified needs in the city. This assessment should include a clear description of the issues the office wants to address and how each issue aligns with the office's goals and strategies, as well as Executive Order 146. 
in recommendation 1.3, uh, the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation should develop and document a strategic plan that aligns with Executive Order 146, stakeholders, strategic plans, and leading practices. At a minimum, the plan should include specific and measurable objectives, a clearly defined mission statement, key performance metrics, an action plan detailing how strategies will be implemented, and an effective method for analyzing outside factors and stakeholder concerns. The office has agreed to recommendations 1.1 through 1.3 with an implementation date of November 23, 2022. And in recommendation 1.4, the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation should ensure its mission, goals, and strategies are consistent across Executive Order 146, all strategic planning documents, and all office communications. The agency has agreed to this recommendation with an implementation date of November 8, 2022. I will now pause Sorry, I'll now pause uh, to allow the Office of Social Equity and Innovation to respond to these recommendations before reading the remaining four recommendations. Aisha. Good morning, Dr. Russo, pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to respond. I wanna go on the record um, and uh, read two letters that I've been asked uh, to ensure that they are officially in the record for today. The first one is from the mayor. Auditor O'Brien and members of the audit committee, the outcome of any well-intentioned audit is to inform the administration leadership in ways that make future agency operations more efficient and productive for our residents. For the most part, my administration has welcomed the auditing process, even when negative headlines were generated, because this process can lead to improvements in agency operations. I have only rarely been openly critical of audits undertaken by the Office of the Auditor, but I am compelled to do so in this instance of the City Equity Program and Practices Audit. While there are some positive recommendations for fu future operations of the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation, an overall structure for the City's equity programs and practices in this report, the overall value is marred by an incomplete description of the history and evolution of the city's equity work, glaring omissions of equity work in action and other errors suggesting that this audit was undertaken in haste. And without a serious appreciation for the challenges of establishing a new office in the midst of an unprecedented global pandemic. I must also question the necessity at this juncture for an audit of an office still in its relative infancy having only been formally established by executive order in June of 2020, during the early months of the pandemic when many city operations were hindered, I believe this audit to be premature. Performing this audit, audit at a later time when the office is more established and its work more fully integrated into city departments would have provided a much more beneficial review of the impacts of its operations and where processes could be improved. The bulk of the report's recommendations can be summarized as criticisms around a lack of strategic planning, metrics for success, clear definitions of roles and responsibilities, staff empowerment, better internal communication, and more precise accounting procedures. These are recommendations the Office of Social Equity and Innovation accepts and can improve the operations of the agency. Indeed, they are actions the office was planning to implement or is in the process of implementing, regardless of the audit. In consultation with OSEI's executive director, Dr. Aisha Rousseau and her team, we nonetheless appreciate these recommendations and going forward, the agency will be better prepared to meet the expectations of our residents. 
The history of Denver's equity initiative predates my executive order establishing the Office of Social Equity and Innovation. While the audit report gives a cursory history of equity initiatives nationally, the absence of Denver's national leadership in this space dating back to 2017 and efforts undertaken by my office, Councilwoman Debbie Ortega, and the Agency for Human Rights and Community Partnerships to establish an equity framework for city projects and operations is a glaring omission. No mention is made of the community dialogue we initiated with noted author Claudia Rankin. No mention is made of the cross-agency training for executive directors we undertook with Reverend Dr. Bryant Mark Sr. No mention is made of the community workshops that were organized on equity throughout 2018 and into 2019. This history is relevant context as it underscores the homegrown efforts initiated to develop an equity-based policy agenda. Denver was not mimicking other cities. Rather, we were shaping best practices and others were looking to us for guidance. It is a disservice to not account for an accurate and full understanding of the work undertaken in Denver between 2017 to 2019. In this regard, the report's timeline for the organizational effort supporting equity is flawed by omission. What is galling, however, and why I believe this audit is more detrimental than supportive to the cause of equity in our city, is while the audit report's authors were closely examining the trees, they neglected to see the forest. The forest, in this case, was an unprecedented global pandemic that caused the shutdown of many city offices, the suspension of normal operations, and a clarion call to every city employee to rethink their work to help save the city. One can read this audit and come away with the impression that nothing of consequence was happening in Denver in 2020 and into 2021. Had the auditor's office considered a thorough review of the city's equity efforts and OSEI's work in 2020 and 2021, there would have been an effort to look at the more than 207 days and 130 daily operational plans OSEI was responsible for and supporting during the city's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, the protests in response to the murder of George Floyd, and elections that took place in the wake of national attempts to undermine them. To my knowledge, no effort was made to look at these situations and documents. Had such an effort been made, the audit team would have learned that equity was an integral part of the emergency response planning process, capably led by three women, Aaron Brown, Kim Desmond, and Dr. Aisha Rousseau, who served consecutively as chief equity officers during the 2020-2022 timeframe. In fact, other emergency management agencies and cities across the country looked to Denver regarding this work, uh, I'm sorry, regarding this work so, they, so that they could duplicate it. Had a serious effort been undertaken to understand the changing nature of the equity mission as a consequence of the pandemic, at least a portion of this report would have been taken up with a review of the equity in action work led by OSEI and contributing to the, to the recovery of our city. Nowhere mentioned in this report, as a matter of fact, is any review of critical equity work supporting small businesses that were shut down, emergency food deliveries, COVID testing, or COVID vaccination planning and operations. 
This omission demonstrates a lack of understanding by the audit report's authors about the critical role OSEI played in Denver's emergency operations for the period covered by the report from 2020 to 2021. During the worst public health crisis in modern history, it would have been dereliction of duty for any city agency to prioritize strategic or communications plans over the mission of Denver city government to put every shoulder to the wheel to support our residents during those difficult times while absorbing emergency budget cuts and staff emergency operations on a near hourly cadence for the better part of two years. A fair and thorough audit of OSEI's work in 2020 and 2021 would have taken account of the following. Standing up emergency testing centers, creating equitable funding support for all small businesses, expanding public health education in underserved communities, staffing equitable food and water distribution, staffing vaccination sites, launching Colorado's <coughs> first in-home vaccination plan for individuals required to remain in their homes for safety reasons, mitigating widespread outbreaks, <coughs> at, outbreaks at residential centers for older <coughs> adults and people with disabilities, establishing a universal request and distribution system for personal protective equipment or PPE, standing up emergency shelters, ensuring effective communication to community members about COVID-related resources in 12 languages, including American Sign Language. While we certainly appreciate the recommendations in this audit report, the overall picture it paints of the city's equity work following the establishment of OSEI in June 2020 lacks critical context and is therefore flawed. Most concerning is that it misperceives the mission of equity during a public health crisis and subsequent events and disrespects the work of city employees who were often called upon to set aside their normal work to take on historic challenges to save lives and livelihoods during an unprecedented time. Respectfully, Mayor Michael B. Hancock. The second letter is from the Racial Equity Council Corps members. Dear Auditor O'Brien, as core members of the Racial Equity Council, a coalition of various community members invested in ensuring the success of Denver's Black, Latino, Indigenous, Asian American, Pacific Islander, immigrant and refugee communities, we are writing in response to the recent performance audit of the City Equity Program and Practices. As a council representing multiple nonprofit health and academic entities, we were dismayed and disheartened that you did not seek the input and perspective of the Denver community when conducting an audit about the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation, who receives regular input and perspective from us to guide their work. We find this lack of reaching out to community to be an egregious oversight. We therefore are writing this letter to ensure that our voices are heard. We explicitly object to the mischaracterization of the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation in this audit. OSEI was a vital leader as it pertains to a response to center communities of color during the COVID pandemic, March 2020 to June 2021. Mass protests in response to the murder of George Floyd from May 2020 to June 2020 and the COVID vaccinations from January of 21 to April of 21. The leadership of the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation was tasked by the Mayor and other city officials to lead the Emergency Operations Center to ensure equity was embedded in all aspects of the city's response. 
Along with OSCI leadership, members of the Racial Equity Council advised the EOC's decisions by participating in numerous equity-focused meetings that centered on the value of health and community-engaged professionals from across the city in an effort to ensure equity-based health decisions that improve community health outcomes were made. These meetings placed city agency leaders, including those in OSEI, in front of community members from the Racial Equity Council. The Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation, with the charge of its leadership, actively and selflessly served the city, ensuring the often forgotten and ignored lives of black, <coughs> Latino, indigenous, Asian American, Pacific Islander, immigrant and refugee communities were not overlooked, overlooked during an unprecedented worldwide pandemic. This service is at the core of all that is required in Executive Order 146, as it is in fact equity in action. Traditional structures for how an office should run came second to saving lives in that time. OSCI leadership took a necessary and culturally responsive approach to the evolving needs of our Denver community. The audit fails to take this same approach and how they view the time spent by OSCI leadership during the same period. In signing on to this letter, we desire to share our sincere support for the efforts of OSCI leadership during what we hope will be once in a lifetime series of events. Additionally, this letter, this letter serves to communicate in no uncertain terms our utter discontent with the implications and statements made from your office, Mr. O'Brien, regarding your, your description of their performance. We ask that this statement be entered into the record and that you consider your position and adjust your audit to reflect what we have shared here today. Sincerely, the Racial Equity Corps members. Thank you for the opportunity to enter both of those uh, letters into the record. In reference to responding to uh, findings uh, 1.1 through 1 1.3, um, I do want to note, as noted in the report, uh, both it's referring to the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation and the original Chief Equity Officer and the interim replacement left the city between June 21 and September 21. The entrance conference for this audit occurred September 8, 21. The current Chief Equity Officer began responsibilities for this role in October 21. As noted in the narratives, concerns remain relative to depictions of the original and interim Chief Equity Officers and the work they oversaw. However, in an effort toward good faith, responsiveness, and an overarching goal of serving Denver's most marginalized communities, um, I have agreed to implement all 16 recommendations. Having said that, uh, there's nothing else that we have in response to uh, items 1.1, 1.2, and 1.3. Thank you for the opportunity to respond. Thank you. Um, could you pass down those letters? We'd be happy to. For the record? Sure. And uh, while you're doing that, I mean, I'd like to emphasize that the, the scope of an audit that I think Mayor Hancock described in that letter is totally unattainable. I mean, he's really asking us to look at everything that went on during the COVID pandemic and the George Floyd riots, et cetera. The other thing I'd like to mention is that this is not um, a precedent, or this is not new for the auditor to take a look at an office new in its existence. I mean, we did this with the Office of Marijuana Policy before it was uh, folded in, you know, to the rest of the uh, department. So um, it's not new. It's not unprecedented. 
uh, I think that audit of marijuana policy was well received and it helped out a lot too. So um, not having strategic plans in place, not having communication with staff, um, I'm, I'm sorry that we have this kind of response. Uh, and I think that's a message that you must have conveyed to both the mayor and the uh, office that you referred to. So why don't we continue with uh, the recommendations? Thank you. So for Actually, Sean, if you might, I, it, I'd like to respond to that. Thank you. I will be starting to relay I we, the, the. I think we have plenty on record, uh, Aisha, and I think we have a limited amount of time here this morning. So let's continue with the audit report. In recommendation 1.5, beginning on page 22 of the report, the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation should document comprehensive policies and procedures to ensure office staff and members of other agencies' equity, diversity, and inclusion teams properly implement the office's programs and initiatives. The policies and procedures should define key roles and responsibilities for individual staff to ensure institutional knowledge is retained. Once approved, the policies and procedures should be communicated to office staff and members of other agencies' equity, diversity, and inclusion teams. In addition, the office should develop and document a process to periodically evaluate these policies and procedures and revise them as necessary. Uh, in recommendation 1.6, uh, as the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation documents roles and responsibilities through Recommendation 1.5, it should develop and document a succession and contingency plan to reassign re responsibilities and minimize interruptions when a key staff member leaves. The Office has agreed to Recommendations 1.5 and 1.6 with an implementation date of September 23, 2022. Again, you can review an addendum we added in response to the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation's response to this recommendation on page 52 of the report. In recommendation 1.7, as the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation develops and documents key performance metrics through recommendation 1.3, it should implement them to track the success of the city's social equity and race and social justice efforts. The office should ensure these metrics align with its goals, strategies, and objectives. The office agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of November 23rd, 2022. And finally, in recommendation 1.8, the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation should develop and document a process to identify agencies with their own equity staff members to ensure those individuals receive and communicate information consistent with citywide initiatives. The office should also work with these agency-specific personnel to develop clear roles and responsibilities that align with citywide equity initiatives. The office agreed to this recommendation and has set an implementation date of November 8th, 2022. Uh, and I'll turn it back over uh, to the committee and the office for any responses they may have. Any questions from the committee? The Office of Social Equity. Consistent with the other recommendations in an effort toward good faith responsiveness and an overarching goal of, of serving Denver's most marginalized communities, um, we have agreed to implement the recommendations that you've listed. Thank you. Thank you. Is that better? Okay. <laughs> In finding two on page 24 of the report, we found that the executive order establishing the mayor's office of social equity and innovation provides insufficient clarity to empower staff. 
Starting on page 25, we found that executive order number 146 is vague about the office's authority to enforce requirements for city agencies. The Office of Social Equity and Innovation staff said the office does not have formal power to get agencies to comply with Executive Order 146. Staff said while they remind agencies of the, of the mayor's equity priorities, they are still stonewalled or simply ignored, especially if an agency does not like the coaching it has received. While staff from Denver City's attorney's office said the order was likely intentionally designed to not give the mayor's office of social equity and innovation enforcement authority, this approach is in contrast to at least three other cities whose equity offices have some sort of enforcement power that includes the ability to freeze, freeze budgets for noncompliance and by including equity as part of job descriptions and performance evaluations. Table one on page 58 of the report details our comparison to other cities. Because the office lacks stronger enforcement authority, several city agencies are not complying with their responsibilities under executive order number 146. First, not all mayoral appointees have given the Office of Social Equity and Innovation signed equity commitments. Second, not all required agencies have completed equity action plans. The Office of Social Equity and Innovation expected to receive 41 equity action plans by the end of 2021. But as of January 2022, only nine agencies under the mayor have finalized plans. And lastly, only about 1,400 or, or about 11% or about of the 13,000 city employees were fully trained in the Race and Social Justice Academy. We found on page 28 of the report that the office lacks sufficient support to ensure other agencies comply with executive order number 146. The mayor's office of social equity and innovation cannot get all mayoral agencies to fully comply with the executive order or gain clarity in its own responsibilities due in part to inconsistencies in the office's leadership. Specifically, both its original chief equity officer and the interim replacement left the city between June 2021 and September 2021. Additionally, these prior leaders often conducted business informally without sharing that information with other office personnel. Also, while experiencing transitions at leadership, the Office of Social Equity and Innovation did not receive sufficient support from the mayor's office. And while the Office of Social Equity and Innovation staff felt they needed more support from the mayor's office, they also acknowledged that they had not leaned in to the mayor's support to help with agency compliance. This was confirmed by the mayor's office, who said they were not aware of the Office of Social Equity and Innovation requesting help with compliance. On page 30 of the report, we found that a future mayor could revoke executive order number 146 risking the city's progress in advancing social equity and racial and social justice. Executive orders remain in effect until canceled by the mayor, therefore lacking the longevity of a city ordinance. This was a risk identified by original leaders of the Office of Social Equity and Innovation who had hoped to codify the policy in city ordinance after the executive order was signed. The mayor's office confirmed it intended to begin with the executive order and consider codifying the office in ordinance at a later date. However, as of January 2022, neither the Office of Social Equity and Innovation nor the Mayor's Office had taken action to follow through on the latter part of those intentions. 
This is once again in contrast to at least three other cities equity offices who have all codified their offices. We found on page 31 of the report that vague wording in executive order number 146 further impedes the mayor's office of social equity and innovations ability to fulfill its role. Specifically, we found that because the office has no policies and procedures for the budget equity process, neither the mayor's office of social equity and innovation nor the city's budget and management office have a consistent understanding about the office of social equity and innovations roles and responsibilities in the city's budget equity process. The Office of Social Equity and Innovation staff even provided varying perspectives about the office's involvement, ranging from the office being minimally involved at the end to being highly involved from the beginning. Additionally, the office's role in training budget analysts is unclear and not documented. Also unclear, also, unclear authority and staffing and resource needs impacts the effectiveness of the budget equity process. City agencies are not required to consult with the office about their budgets. And because executive order number 146 has no specific information about the budget equity process, agencies do not have clear direction regarding their participation. As for staffing and resource needs, the Office of Social Equity and Innovation's participation in the budget equity process has increased in the past two years. But office staff desires an even greater role to ensure more equity. The office hired more staff at the end of 2021. However, the office has not assessed its staffing or resources to determine whether it has the capacity for the greater role it desires in the budget equity process. The mayor's office of social equity and innovation also does not have a process to work with the budget and management office in identifying which new city employees need to be trained on the budget equity process. Staff in the budget and management office noted that challenges occur when agencies change leadership with new managers needing to be brought up to speed about an agency's plans. Lastly, we found that the Office of Social Equity and Innovation does not conduct citywide equity scans as required by executive order number 146. Because the executive order does not define what an equity scan is, staff were either unaware of them or uncertain of what an equity scan is supposed to be. In fact, staff in the Office of Social Equity and Innovation stated that the term equity scans does not compute with any projects the office had done so far. A former advisor to the office said the equity scans refer to what we now know to be the racial equity action plans and the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation's efforts to track those strategies in its dashboard. However, according to the executive order, that dashboard is meant to only be a visual representation of key performance indicators. After we shared a draft of the report with the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation, we learned from current leadership that plans for an equity scan were canceled due to the pandemic because the office chose to instead focus on conducting a COVID-19 employee inclusion survey. It was then determined by previous Office of Social Equity and Innovation leadership, along with the Office of Human Resources, that the initial plans for the citywide equity scan were no longer appropriate. As a result of these findings, we make the following seven recommendations. Beginning on page 38 of this report, I will read recommendations 2.1 to 2.3 before opening up the floor to comments or questions. Recommendation 2.1 reads, as the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation updates its program design as part of Recommendation 1.1, it should work with the Mayor's Office to evaluate Executive Order Number 146 
and revise it to clarify vague wording and to better reflect the Office of Social Equity and Innovation's existing responsibilities and initiatives. Specifically, the revised executive order should clearly define the office enforcement authority, the roles and responsibilities of other city agencies in fulfilling the executive order's requirements and the budget equity process, as well as the office's role in the budget equity process. Where the equity training should be mandatory for city staff, what a citywide equity scan is intended to be. Once the executive order is revised, the Office of Social Equity and Innovation should ensure it fully complies, it complies with all requirements. For recommendation 2.2, as the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation works with the Mayor's Office to review Executive Order 146 as part of implementing re recommendation 2.1, it should consider whether an executive order is the appropriate method for achieving agencies' compliance with the city's equity initiatives or whether the Office of Social Equity and Innovation and its efforts should be codified by other means, such as in-city ordinance. The Office of Social Equity and Innovation should document its decision and the decision-making process it used. Sorry, go back. Additionally, the Mayor's Office of social equity, no, I'm sorry, recommendation 2.3. The mayor's office of social equity and innovation should work with the mayor's office to obtain the support it needs to ensure all city agencies under the mayor comply with executive order number 146. The office should document these discussions and any efforts to gain agencies compliance. The agency agreed to recommendations 2.1 through 2.3 with an implementation date of November 8th, 2022. I'll pause here to allow the office to make any comments or ask any questions. Questions from the committee? Aisha? <clears throat> any response to, in addition to what you've already provided? Sure. Thank you again for the opportunity to respond. Um, as noted in the report, the original uh, chief equity officer in the interim left between June 2021 and September of 2021. I assume this role in October of 21. Um, the majority of this information predates my arrival here. However, in an effort toward good faith, responsiveness, and an overarching goal of serving Denver's most marginalized communities, uh, we accept the, the recommendations and uh, we will provide the deliverables. Danielle. Recommendation 2.4 says the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation should work with the Office of Human Resources to evaluate other ways to offer training courses on equity and racial and social justice to city employees to maximize the Office of Social Equity and Innovation's mission of achieving transformative change in city government. The agency agreed to recommendation 2.4 with an implementation date of September 23rd, 2022. I will pause again if you have any comments. Questions from the committee? Aisha? I do want to make note here that uh, there are some, and actually let me just make sure that I'm not being premature. Give me one second, please. Yeah, we do want to make note here that um, the use of the word enforcement in equity offices is um, 
It's rather complex um, as offices like the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation tend to focus on systems designs and not on individualized equity-based compliance. We accept the recommendation, but we do wanna make note that um, we do not see our role as asserting that uh, individualized equity-based compliance uh, is up to us, but that that is the role of human resources. Um, however, we acknowledge that racism exists at several levels. However, we aim to address work at an institutional and structural level, uh, but we are understanding of the recommendation that's been made and we uh, have agreed to providing the deliverables. Continue. Recommendation 2.5 says the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation should work with the Budget and Management Office to develop and document a process to identify city agency staff who are new to the budget equity process and ensure they understand the process and receive the necessary resources and training. The agency agreed to this recommendation with an implementation date of September 23rd, 2022. For recommendation 2.6, as part of documenting roles and responsibilities in policies and procedures and as part of recommendation 1.5, the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation should draft policies and procedures that document its roles and responsibilities specifically for the budget equity process. The office should define specific activities such as training city employees about the process, reviewing and providing feedback on agencies' budget proposals, when social equity and innovation should be involved in the budget equity process, how it should work with the Budget and Management Office. And lastly, recommendation 2.7 says, as the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation updates its program design as part of recommendation 1.1, the office should conduct a formal documented evaluation of its staffing levels and resources to determine whether they are adequate for office staff to participate in the budget equity process to the extent they desire. The agency agreed to recommendations 2.6 and 2.7 with an implementation date of November 8th 2022. I will now open up the floor again for any questions or comments from the agency or the committee. Questions from the committee? I have, a, I have a question. Um, so the 2.5, 2.6, and 2.7 all relate to the budget equity process, which, uh, I mean, I could be mistaken, but it seems like that is a very, is a fairly complex process. And to say uh, that that the um, uh, implementation will be as soon as September 23rd, 2022 and November 8th of 2022 for these. I wonder if that's not too aggressive um, or and setting yourself up for non-compliance or whatever. Thank you for the question. Um, it is, uh, we're currently in the throes of the current budget process. And so um, this one will end in about two weeks. And so it, it continues to be an ongoing process really. And so the end of this budget cycle uh, will be around September, October. And so it's already built in. It was uh, built in um, in January uh, when we agreed to participate in the budget cycle for this year that we would have processes where we would come back together to discuss what we would do going forward. So um, the relationship is there where we will continue those processes, have dates on the calendar to work with the budget management office. The actual rolling out won't happen until the next budget cycle starts, but uh, these meetings will prepare us for that rollout. 
Thanks for the question. Finding three. Thank you. Finding three found on page 41 of the report found that the mayor's office of social equity and innovation does not have a plan to ensure clear, consistent communication with other city agencies. Executive order 146 states that the office is responsible for directing city and external stakeholders by engaging with agency leaders and city employees to increase social equity and to minimize institutional, structural, and systematic racism in city government. To assess the office's communication efforts, we identified seven members of agencies' equity, diversity, and inclusion teams, which are responsible for advancing equitable and inclusive practices among their agency staff. We sent each of the seven members a survey and received five responses. Four members said that the office's communication was good. One member said communication could be better, specifically, they said they had not received any written communication from the office regarding roles and responsibilities. They mentioned that communication was often verbal, not clear, and not proactive. The same individual expressed confusion about the office's roles within the executive order, and they wanted the office to collaborate more with agencies' equity, diversity, and inclusion teams when making decisions. One member said they wanted to know more about the initiatives other agencies are working on and how the teams can align activities on a citywide basis. Additionally, two members mentioned that the office's communication regarding the Race and Social Justice Academy was given to them on short notice. Furthermore, we found that the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation has no documented communication plan or policies and procedures for ensuring it is consistently communicating information with other city agencies. We also found that communication regarding the Race and Social Justice Academy was unclear as agencies were not sure if the training was optional or required. According to federal guidance as shown in figure five on page 42 of the report, a communication plan should document key stakeholders, the information to be communicated, who should receive the information, how often it should occur, and how the information should be distributed. Additionally, federal guidance emphasizes that managers should communicate quality information both internally and externally through reporting lines to help an organization achieve its objective. Without a clearly outlined plan for citywide communication with other city agencies, the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation cannot ensure all city agencies will receive consistent types and levels of communication to guide the city's racial and social justice work. Recommendation 3.1 found on page 43 of the report states that the Mayor's Office of Social Equity and Innovation should develop and document a communication plan for how it plans to communicate information with other city agencies. The plan should identify all necessary stakeholders and detail when, where, and how the office will communicate. It should also include timely notifications of upcoming trainings, the roles and responsibilities of agencies' equity, diversity, and inclusion teams in line with Recommendation 1.5, and citywide initiatives either from social equity and innovation or other city agencies. The office should share the plan with all necessary stakeholders to ensure communication is clear and consistent. The office has agreed to Recommendation 3.1 with an implementation date of October 14, 2022. This concludes our audit presentation. I will now open the floor for any comments. Questions, Rudy? I do have a question. Dr. Rousseau, <clears throat> I understand about the tone of the report, no doubt. Excuse However, me, sir, excuse me for interrupting. One, one question, do we have an opportunity to respond to the third one or to just fold it in? We're, we're gonna have comments from the committee and then we'll have your response. Okay, thank you. 
My question to you is uh, basically, <clears throat> I understand the mission statement. It's clearly laid out, increase social equity and to minimize institutional structure and systemic racism. And, um, but don't you, would you at least agree with, with my assessment, at least this audit has provided you with a blueprint in terms of trying to how to achieve this, uh, your goal and vision of, of uh, overcoming uh, institutional racism as well as social in, uh, increase in social equity within the office or within throughout the city is what I meant. Thank you for the question. Um, in response to that, I'll, I'll echo, echo what, what my boss said in his letter, the mayor, um, in that um, there are disagreements around context being, omis, uh, being omitted. Um, however, we accept the recommendations. Um, as we've identified time and time again, we accept all of the 16 recommendations. We recognize that um, uh, similar to the racial equity, what the racial equity committee commented that uh, this work fell secondary to saving the city for over 200 days. And so um, we don't disagree that um, the foundational documents that are being asked need to be provided at a core level. We don't disagree with that. Um, yeah. Thank you, Dr. Rousseau, for that response. And secondly, the next question I have is, because uh, I do think it's a good blueprint, but one of the things I'm really concerned about a little bit, all these recommendations are you know, right around the corner, and it seems pretty ambitious that we're going to achieve them all. Uh, I, I commend you if you do, but uh, I just think that some, the time frame seems to be ambitious. I think what I could see and what I'm looking at is that you're going to spend a lot of time this year trying to organize and develop that basic business structure, that business model for delivery services. And then the metrics really will come in a year or two from now. And, and I, I, I think we, it behooves all of us to keep that in perspective is, is what I'm getting at. So Dr. Rousseau, thank you for your response. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate that perspective. Um, I do think that it is a very tight timeline. Uh, we wanted to honor what we were asked, which was when we were given the template, um, uh, the dates that were outlined for each one um, asked for us to fill in a target date, and it indicated that um, it was generally expected within 60 to 90 days. So we were trying to be respectful of those dates, um, but I would agree. We feel like it is a tight timeline, and we've had to um, shift uh, a lot of things internally for a very small staff in order to, um, uh, we, we've recognized it's an aggressive timetable. Thank you. Thanks. Do you want to respond to recommendation 3.1? Thanks. Um, I just wanted to, to indicate that um, the prior uh, chief equity officer and interim uh, chief equity officer um, conducted all <coughs> communications on their own. Uh, the, the Office of Social Equity and Innovation, unlike most offices in the city, does not have an assigned public information officer. Um, we um, in aligning with a lean approach, we currently share a um, public information officer on a very part-time basis, approximately eight hours, um, with the mayor's office communications team, and we're grateful uh, for the work that she contributes. Um, having said that, we don't disagree uh, with the items that are outlined around the communications team. Um, it, the contention is that um, it expands the current breadth of work capacity that we have right now. And so um, we have uh, placed in this year's budget um, uh, a request for a public information officer to be able to address these concerns. Thank you. 
<clears throat> Any other questions or comments from the committee, from the audit team? Auditor, if I could, um, I just wanted to provide a little bit of perspective. Um, when we uh, first started this audit, we uh, had our entrance conference on September 8th. During that meeting, the interim chief equity officer who was present at that time was present at that meeting. Um, and then we did ask them if we could have a meeting with them the next day because we wanted that historical perspective, um, knowing that that person was leaving. Um, and we set up a meeting for 10 o'clock September 9th and that person never showed. Um, despite further uh, emails and phone calls from myself uh, trying to, uh, you know, obtain that information and get uh, this person on the phone, um, you know, we, we unfortunately were, uh, were not responded to. Um, therefore, what we did was we had to rely on information from those who were still there who did at least have some uh, historical involvement um, in the development of the office. And at that point, we... I mean, just with, it, with any audit, we can only rely on the evidence that we are presented. Um, and this report reflects the evidence that we were presented. Um, and a lot of the information that we were presented was after uh, the draft report was uh, issued. So I just wanted to add that perspective. Well, thank you. And I, I appreciate that. And the difficulty of trying to conduct an audit when the agency doesn't cooperate, when documentation is intentionally withheld, uh, it's very difficult to conduct an audit under those circumstances, and I think you did an admirable job. Um, I do want to ask a question, though. You know, the audit points out there's no strategic plan, there's no goals and objectives, policies and procedures, no metrics to m measure how well the organization is doing. And the response seems to be, well, it's because of COVID, it's because of the social unrest that we were all experiencing at that point in time. Did anyone in the leadership of the Office of Social Equity and Innovation ask the mayor to suspend the Executive Order 146? Uh, so two things, if I might um, address uh, Amy's question, or Ms. Barnes' question in, in alignment with yours, Mr. O'Brien. Um, um, None of us here at this table, uh, well, let me say from, from uh, Dr. Torres and my perspective, neither of us are in a position to speak on behalf of Kim Desmond or Aaron Brown, who led this office prior to us arriving. Um, they, um, I can't speak to whether um, information was requested or not from them. Um, our position on this is that um, what happened in the prior office happened in the prior office and we are continuing forward. Um, the answer is the same in reference to the mayor's response to suspending Executive 146. I believe the mayor's, uh, mayor's letter stands for itself and I can't speak to if anyone asked him or if he suggested that Executive Order 146 be suspended. I'm not in a position to respond to that. Thank you. Okay, that concludes the briefing. Um, thank you very much, everyone. Any, do you have a question? No. Or, no? Okay, our next agenda item <clears throat> is a presentation on our annual audit analytics.
Well, Sam, are you ready to begin? Sure. <clears throat> okay. Sam, why don't you introduce yourself and the team? Uh, okay. <coughs> Great, thank you. Um, my name is Sam Gallagher. I'm the audit analytics manager for the city and county of Denver's auditor's office. I'm here with our audit analytics team. Uh, we'll introduce as we go to, for the sake of time, if that's all right. Uh, today, we'll be going through our, um, our semi-annual update. This provides an update of the accomplishments and projects and risk analytics that we've performed over the last six months. Uh, we'll discuss our work accomplished in the first half of 2022 in four areas. First, myself, or Chris, Heather, and I will, will discuss our risk-finding analytics and our continuous audit work. Daniel will then provide an update on our current projects. And finally, Nick will review our audit support, our engagement with the broader audit community, and the internal training we've provided this year, along with some next steps. Before we dive into our continuous audit results, I want to give a, a reminder of how we categorize our work. In general, our audit analytics can be placed into two categories. First are our risk-finding analytics. These consist of developing analytics to identify potential financial or performance-related risks. We report these findings internally, which are then used as part of the office's risk assessment process. Second are what we consider continuous audit analytics. These are analytics which have been part of a full audit and, have, and we have worked to automate uh, these for ongoing monitoring. So they have more validation work behind the scenes. In some cases, we automate previous audit work. So any step that an audit team has taken that we think that we can uh, develop into a, a script, uh, an automated script, and perform that over a population of data rather than a sample of data. Um, and in some case, cases, it's our risk assessments that were then used as part of an audit that received more of that thorough audit validation. The additional um, audit work validates the risk that we might see um, in, in the data and represent maybe a control failure or a higher risk that we want to keep track of. Once those findings, uh, once those risk findings have been through the audit process and verified, we could consider them part of our audit or our continuous audit um, suite of analytics. Uh, today, the, the analytics that we describe come from two major systems um, from, our, from the city's uh, financial systems uh, and represent about 17 million records. Primarily, they come from Gentax, the city's tax system, and Workday, the city's ERP system that holds all the financial and human resources uh, data. As, uh, and among those that include different modules, for example, purchase cards, travel expenses, expense reports, journal entries from the journal ledger, supplier invoices and expense, or excuse me, and um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, for our analytics on our Gentax system, we, uh, we have two analytics based on previous audit work and test work. Uh, first is the timeliness of how quickly tax returns are accepted into the system. This is a, an area that the, an audit back in 2016 examined and so we built an analytic just to, to keep track of this risk. And what we found is that after the audit, the, the timeliness of, of returns increased. So they went from about um, where 90, around 95% of tax returns were processed through the system in about seven days, and that climbed to nearly 99%. But we can see here in the, in the graph that that time has reduced a little bit over the last year and a half, and we are, we're seeing um, some more variation 
And so this is a, a risk that we'll continue to keep track of, and if it dips below the audited period, we'll, we'll bring it uh, to a higher attention level. Slide gave me pause. The last data point at eighty percent. Yeah, and that might have something to do with the the way the data is cut off when we do a data poll, a refresh. So this that is certainly a data point that we're wondering if it's an anomaly or if it's going to continue. Um, oftentimes we see at the end of any data point uh, or data poll that there's some kind of things are in process, and so it might um, change up the analytics. So. We'll run this again in a few months and see if that gets back up into the 90s. Thank yeah, thanks for the question. Sam, what was your conclusion on 91.2? What was the driving forces behind that? If yeah. you could remember. Uh, yeah. yeah, we looked into that and that, there was a, a, I believe a policy change on, on tax returns at that point, which I believe individuals were submitting more tax returns to try and get ahead of the, mm -hmm. uh, that policy change. And so yeah. that gave an influx of of tax returns to the department, and it took them a while to catch up. Thank you. Yeah, we certainly see a correlation between uh, the number of tax returns being processed and processing time. And, but the office does seem to be responding, generally speaking, to, to the growing city and the growing demands on their office. Now, just, I'm sorry to get into the numbers, but in terms of a, uh, <clears throat> a standard number, are you looking at Basically, if anything be falls below 99.1%, do you get worried about it in terms of transactions? Um, Not necessarily. We're, we, our baseline is more on the audited period. Okay. So at that time, the audit team felt that uh, the metric could be improved, and so they provided some recommendations. We saw improvement, so if it goes below that period, we know something has gone back to where those recommendations were meant to shore up. Uh, the next analytic is more of a control test, and th uh, this is where we're looking for a separation of duties on write-offs. A write-off is where someone, where there's an outstanding amount owed to the city, and the city decides that this person or entity no longer owes that amount to the city. And the control that we're looking for is that the person who suggests the write-off is not the same person that accepts uh, the write-off. Uh, what we did find at uh, during the first part of the pandemic, there was about 10,000 write-offs where the, the name in the field matched between the acceptor and the approver. Uh, we looked into those, and that was a system-wide um, write-off. Uh, so the name was Batch, B-A-T-C-H, uh, just indicating that they did a systemic decision to, uh, to write off very low dollar amounts. I think everything was below $75, and this was part of COVID relief. Um, so those all were, those were appropriate, and so with no further uh, matches on those two fields, we can say that this control appears to be working. The next suite of analytics that we developed uh, recently are on journal entries. Journal entries are the, are a record of an organization's financial transactions and the, and the accounting records of the organization. These, organiza these transactions cover everything from payroll to purchase cards. They show which accounts are credited and which are debited and help track how money moves from the general fund uh, to specific, specific expense accounts, among other things. In the last two years alone, uh, this, the city's journal entry system includes about 10 million journal lines. So to assess the risk on these, we've developed four different analytics that focus in on the manual journal entries. Those include 
uh, journal entries looking at when the journal entry was created, so the time of day, the day of week, if it was created on a holiday, anything that might indicate uh, that someone's entering a journal entry during an off time uh, when we wouldn't expect it. Uh, we also look in the memo line of the journal entry for any risky words. We have a battery of about 30 words that we're, that we're searching for and co-occurrence of words that might indicate that someone is reversing a transaction or anything that the fraud community has identified as um, some risky words to, to look out for, we, we include those in our list. Uh, what those analytics do is it helps us to go from 10 million journal lines down to uh, 34 journal, journal entries that have, or excuse me, journal lines that have at least one flag, and then we're looking for those journal entries that have more than one risk flag. Uh, more risk flags, we think there might be more risk involved. And what that does is it, it whittled us down to about 200 journal entries that we consider a high-risk population. And these journal entries will then be given to the audit team uh, as they start the, the journal entry audit for, uh, that's on the 2022 audit plan. Can, can I ask a question? Yeah. Uh, it's a kind of a geeky accounting question. Um, <laughs> so, so, um, so in my definition of journal entries, and I think you said this, that, that these are not um, automatic postings from a, from a sub-ledger to the general ledger. This is, these are manual entries. So the, is that true? And is that an, an extraordinarily large number so the, in your the, experience? The 10 million includes the automatic entries. Okay. We whittle that down first, only looking at manual entries, considering those to be a higher risk than anything that's okay. automatically moving from one system to the other. Okay. And then we, we get down. I think there's... Oh, I, I can't remember the, the exact number. It might be oh, more right. in the 100,000. Okay, uh, that would make more sense to me. Okay. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. like, wow, there's some system not working here. <laughs> you have to post 10 million little, lines. Paper. <laughs> yeah. The system is working very well yeah. to get 10 million journal lines. Well, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we have, yeah, we start with the entire data poll from the system and then whittle it down from okay. there. Thank you. Uh, I'd now like to pass the, the presentation to Chris Wilson, our lead analytics auditor, to go over some of our new purchase card analytics. Purchase cards, also referred to as procurement cards, are credit cards used by the city and county of Denver for low-value purchases. Since our last update, we developed a composite risk model to flag risky purchase card transactions. Previously, we reported results of individual risk analytics that assess a single risk at a time. The composite model aggregates the results of six risk flags, such as whether the transaction relates to a split purchase, an even dollar purchase, or a purchase at a pass-through vendor like Amazon or Venmo. We applied this model to all purchase card transactions made from January 2018 through the end of June 2022. Of the nearly 250,000 transactions, 8,074 received a risk score of two or greater, meaning they triggered at least two of our risk flags. We consider this subgroup higher risk transactions, which we can provide to audit teams during their planning phase. To see how the risk score has changed over time, we calculated the average risk score as a ratio of all transactions by month. This graphic zooms in on the y-axis to better illustrate the trend. As you can see, the average score falls between 0.76 and 0.86. We see a few peaks in the data, but overall we see slight variation across time. Despite this, we will continue to monitor the trend um, for our next semi-annual semi update. Next, we'll move on to 
travel cards. Here, we evaluated potential risk related to the city's use of travel cards on non-travel related items. We use merchant category codes to perform this analysis and assign risks based on the type of code related to that transaction. Our analysis covered about 30,000 transactions. Of these, our risk analytics showed that 97% are considered low risk, meaning they explicitly relate to travel costs. However, in our current update, results showed that the ratio of high risk transactions in terms of dollar amount have increased to about 6.15% of total travel card spending. This ratio is similar to the ratio of high-risk transactions prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Here, we graph the travel card spending amounts by risk level across each month of our analysis. The green indicates low-risk transactions, the yellow indicates medium risk, and the red indicates high risk. In our most recent six-month period, we see that the low-risk transactions account for the majority of spending. We will continue to monitor this trend as part of our next update. So would a, a high-risk transaction um, for a travel card be something that is a, 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 a merchant designated as a non-travel merchant, for instance? Exactly. So for instance, a high-risk code, um, so we assign these all manually. Um, so based on the description, so a code such as like automotive repair it w was assigned a high-risk. It doesn't mean it's, um, it can't, like it shouldn't happen totally, right. but it just would flag or trigger some more investigation to find out why. A hotel, why. an right. airline. Or, right. Yeah. So the low risk are explicitly related to air, airline travel, hotel costs, and things like that. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Now we'll move on to expense reports. Um, the city uses expense reports when employees make city-related business, business purchases and submit for reimbursement. We use a composite model again to monitor three risk indicators, including the top spender, which flags the individuals who receive the largest cumulative amount of money from the city, Benford's Law, which looks at the first digit in a group of numbers and determines if the patterns appear to be naturally occurring, and lastly, we flag even dollar transactions that are divisible by 10. Our analysis for the current update included about 40,000 expense report line items. This slide shows a breakdown of the line items that triggered at least one of our risk flags. As you can see, the top spender risk is associated with the largest bucket of flag transactions with 25,218. The overlapping circles indicate the transactions that triggered more than one risk flag. As we can see, there are only four, 420 transactions that triggered all three risk flags. Focusing in on the last six months of data, we found that both the count and dollar amount of risky transactions has decreased compared to prior periods. We will continue to monitor these trends and provide any relevant high-risk transactions to audit teams during their planning phase. Any questions or comments before we move on? I have a question that it really applies to all of this, but sure. I need to ask it now before it slips out of my brain. Um, so you know, I just find this fascinating, and I think it's just amazing the volume that you're able to look at, and it's just incredible. So you've said a couple of times that when you do identify problems, you turn it over to the audit, and I'll just look at you, Don, because you're sitting right across from me. <laughs> and then what? What do you do with it? Then the team will take it, and they will look at it in the planning phase to assess risk, and if it's something that rises to the level of a very risky situation, then we can actually go in and do the audit work behind it to see you know, what's causing that and how can we mitigate that through a recommendation. Are there ever 
any situations where something comes up? Like there is some employee who is blatantly doing something wrong that instead of just turning it over to you to guide your audit, it gets reported back to the head of that department or, and I don't even know what happens in the city if there's a way to report fraud or abuse or et cetera. So I guess I, this is my citizen's question. So the stuff that you catch, because I'm sure you do, does it then get more of a enforcement or? Well, I think if we, if we, if we think there's indicators of fraud or we see evidence of fraud, then, then that's a discussion that we'll have with Auditor O'Brien and, and Deputy Auditor Valerie Walling, and then we'll decide you know, you know, how to handle that, whether it's involving you know, city attorney's office, the district attorney's office, you know, what is the next logical step from a, uh, a criminal investigation perspective since we don't and, actually And I'm not even those. suggesting that it's a criminal situation. It, you know, just right. maybe something that an employee needs to be talked to or discussed or the head of the department, whatever. So that is possible. It just depends. Okay. Leslie, at the Fed level, I remember we would always turn it over to the Justice Department, the information, the evidence, and let them make the decision whether or not to prosecute. Uh, but our job was just to collect the evidence and report it out. And to add to that, that's the auditor's responsibility to turn it over to the district attorney or whoever for further investigation. And a good example from the expense reports, we took that high-risk group, those <coughs> the three overlapping, and an audit team, we looked into those, did some sampling, and realized that a lot of those had um, insufficient documentation in the reporting or the review process. And that kicked off an expense report review process audit, which then identified that there was a lack of training on how to review expense reports. And so while they didn't, you know, a lot of these risks, you know, Benford's Law, even dollar, they don't necessarily say, hey, this is f fraud or something nefarious, but they do highlight an anomaly. And then when we looked into the documentation, we said, oh, there's not, there's not a lot here. So it, it does help bubble up to the surface some issues like that, which can be, you know, more process-related or training-related issues. Yeah. Which is why you're here. This is, that's what you're supposed to do. That's the whole point right. of not just your department, but the entire <coughs> audit department. It's not to catch the one person, the two person. It's just to make sure that there are the systems and the policies and the procedures in place, right? Yeah. Yeah. How, how does this complement your hot, uh, the, uh, what do they call it, uh, whistle program that you might have? If I find a, if I suspect something, the whistleblower will say, hey, calling in for the fraud or whatever. Does that complement it? And then does your analytics complement a fraud hotline? We haven't done a comparison between what's, what's coming in. That, that's a great idea, though, to see could we, any request to look into a fraud, if we could quantify that and say, could we see that activity in the data? That would, um, that's a good idea. We should yeah. put that on the plan. It sort of yeah. tests, it tests all your theories and what you're doing. It would kind of just go, yeah, we are on the right track. Yeah, fraud being a fairly rare event, it is hard to, it's great to see those and then build a, a data set of what does fraud look like. And that certainly helps find future instances of fraud. But they are uh, few and far between, fortunately. So now we'll be moving on to purchase orders. So just like Chris um, gave you some updates on expense reports and P-cards, I'll be talking to you about our analytics uh, round purchase order data. 
so we, we looked at information available in purchase order data and created risk analytics to test the controls and analyze trends to hopefully identify any potential risky purchases. Specifically, we looked at unauthorized purchases, shipping addresses, duplicate transactions, and even dollar transactions. We designed a unique analytic for each, and we'll discuss in further detail um, each one in the following slides. First, we'll discuss unauthorized purchases. When we say unauthorized purchases, we're referring to purchase order transactions that violate the city's procurement process by either submitting a purchase order after the purchase was made, known as after-the-fact violations, or by using non-compliant procurement methods for transactions both over and under $10,000. Transactions under $10,000 are considered fiscal rule violations, whereas transactions over $10,000 are considered code violations. The graph displayed here shows our results. Each line represents a different type of unauthorized purchase. You can see that generally across all types, there's a decrease in occurrences since the peak in early 2018. However, if you look at the trend line, which is the straight dotted line, the slope is actually traveling upward, which means occurrences over the last two years have increased. Considering these results, we recommend continuing to monitor all unauthorized purchase types. We also look closely at shipping addresses. We compared shipping addresses to city-owned or leased facilities. We consider addresses without a verifiable connection to a city facility to be risky addresses. The graph here shows the location of all the unique addresses we found. The blue dots represent city facilities and the red dots represent risky addresses. We found 120 risky addresses with associated orders totaling about $50 million. Although this is a high dollar amount, the risk level has not increased since the end of 2021. In fact, less than 1% of transactions are going to risky addresses. Most orders are being delivered to verified city facilities. Based on our results, we recommend providing audit teams with the list of risky addresses and transactions to look into further. We also looked for duplicate transactions in purchase order data. Duplicate transactions could be the result of accidental duplicate payments, which wastes, wastes city money, or it could be the result of potentially fraudulent billing schemes. We found a total of 317 potential duplicates, totaling about $135,000. When we look at our results over time, we see the count of potential duplicates have decreased, but the amount associated with the transaction has increased. And we refer to these as potential duplicates because until a full audit is conducted, we can't confirm they are true duplicates. So this is a good example of kind of what we were um, talking about earlier of we, we find the population and then hand it over to the audit team or we can internally ourselves do some validation to see whether or not these are duplicates um, that are triggered by the analytic that we created or they are really in fact true duplicates because it was a payment made twice. We also, oh, I'm sorry. Our next area of focus are even dollar purchases. We define even dollar purchases as transactions that end in whole numbers in increments of 100. According to the Institute of Internal Auditors, even dollar purchases indicate risk as this type of transaction is unlikely to occur. And if it does, it could point to a fraudulent payment. When looking at this data, we found that about 10% of all transactions qualify as even dollar purchases. When we isolate the first six months of this year, we see a slight increase to 12% of all transactions. 
We can incorporate these results in audits by meeting early with the audit teams to determine whether even dollar purchase results are relevant and whether they should be considered during the audit planning phase. The last analytic we developed with purchase order data analyzes checks held for pickup. Checks held for pickup are physical checks written by the city that are waiting to be picked up by the supplier. This type of payment is riskier than others as it increases the possibility of theft and misappropriation. The graph on this slide displays our results. The vertical bars represent the number of checks and the line across the bars represents the total dollar amount of the checks. Overall, the number of checks and the associated dollar amount are decreasing when compared year after year. You may also notice that the number of checks and the dollar amount do not correlate, so it is important to continue to monitor both metrics. We recommend using this data for consideration in the planning phase of vendor or invoice-specific process-related audits. Can I ask, and forgive me, this may be obvious, uh, but what is it about a check held for pickup that is inherently more risky? Because it's in its physical form. As opposed to a check mailed out? Delivered uh, electronically. <coughs> oh, so that's the distinction, not whether it's a physical check. Well, so they, these checks are uh, <coughs> check where someone will come in and... and no, I understand. Uh, yeah, and so if I were a vendor uh, or a supplier at this point in time, given the state of my <laughs> mail at, at my home, I would come pick it up. Um, just saying. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know what the inherent difference was. I get the electronic part. That's for sure more secure, but. Yeah, just having the physical checks printed and um, if someone comes in and gets, I guess there's, there's just more risk for ending up with the wrong hands. And which is a. I don't know. A, If you do as work for, for the city, <laughs> you might have a visit by these auditors and <laughs> looking at an anomaly. Do you get your mail regularly now? <laughs> no, I, I still do a lot of mail transactions. Yeah, <laughs> okay, thank you. Any other questions before I hand it off to Daniel? No? All right, it's all yours. Thank you, Heather. Good morning, everyone. I'll provide an update on the ongoing projects the audit analytics team has been working on this year. I'll pause at the end for any questions or comments. I'll discuss our LCP tracker project, our analysis of technology purchases, a data privacy desk procedure we developed, and an update on our audit analytics capabilities. Denver Labor, a division of the auditor's office, uses a software program called LCP Tracker, which stands for Labor Compliance Program Tracker, for certified payroll and workforce reporting. Denver Labor uses this software to ensure the city's contracted workers are paid the correct wage. Part of Denver Labor's work includes inspecting individual payroll records to ensure compliance with rules and regulations. The purpose of our project is to assess whether the data analytics team can use payroll information to flag high-risk submissions to help Denver Labor better target the review of payroll records. We collected data for 1,200 randomly selected payrolls to build a data set that we can use for our analysis. Using this data set, we applied machine learning techniques to develop a model that can help identify payrolls that are at risk for wage violations. Machine learning is a branch of data science that uses statistics and algorithms to develop models to classify records, predict outcomes, and uncover key insights in large data sets. We are in the early stages of evaluating the model's success at identifying payrolls with known wage violations. 
After we refine the parameters, we will use the model to evaluate future payrolls to determine the likelihood of a wage violation occurring. Another project we've been working on is identifying technology purchases that do not align with rules established in Executive Order 18, which describes the process around procuring technology resources in the city. We developed several risk analytics to identify transactions that are at risk of being out of compliance with Executive Order 18. We created five risk flags to identify potentially risky transactions across purchase card records, journal entry records, and expense report records. Using these flags, we analyzed over one million records and identified a group of high-risk transactions. We evaluated the success of our risk flags for identifying truly risky transactions and provided the preliminary results to our internal IT audit manager for a potential future audit. In alignment with the city's efforts to ensure data privacy and security, the audit analytics team put together a data privacy desk procedure to provide auditors with a consolidated document that outlines key considerations for handling confidential and sensitive data. The guide provides easy to understand definitions of key terms, answers commonly asked questions, discusses best practices, and outlines the city's rules for handling sensitive information. The guide provides auditors with clear steps for teams to take to ensure the safe handling of sensitive and confidential information. We incorporated the feedback we received for the draft version of the document and provided the final version to our audit director. After we finalize the document and complete our internal review process, we will distribute the document to audit teams so they can begin incorporating steps into their regular workflows. Discussed in the special analysis published in June of this year, we surveyed other local government audit organizations and reviewed professional literature to assess the current state of the methods, tools, and uses of audit analytics and to identify areas where Denver can further enhance how we use analytics to improve our audit work. We found that Denver's, the Denver Auditor's Office is a leader in its use of and reporting on audit analytics. Although more than 100 local government organizations responded to our survey, we learned our office is among the few local government audit organizations that applies advanced analytics to identify risks and assess controls of critical city systems and processes. Our success is due to our dedicated analytics team, collaboration among our audit staff, consistent ongoing trainings, and using new tools and statistics to work with large data sets. We also learned of ways to enhance our audit analytics program, including by applying new techniques to identify data quality issues and using statistics to improve our risk assessment process. I'll now open the floor to any questions or comments from members of the committee. Are you geeked out or? Uh, <laughs> Asked and answered. <laughs> Nick? Thank you, Daniel. I'll be discussing the audit support provided by the analytics team in the first half of this year. I'll pause for any comments or questions at the end. Support was provided to the audit team investigating solid waste services. 311 data was analyzed to identify trends in missed waste pickups, including an analysis of missed waste pickup trends around holidays. To assist with the audit examining homelessness encampments, 311 data was analyzed to identify reports related to encampments and sweeps of encampments. The analytics team has created a journal entry analysis tool, 
which is an automated Python tool that filters journal entry data for specific city departments and will be used to provide automated audit support to audit teams. This tool will provide audit teams with overall expense and revenue data, along with the breakdown of journal entry activity by fund, ledger account, cost center, source, and spend category. Manual transactions are also analyzed by the tool using a range of risk analytics that identify transactions occurring off hours, transactions occurring on holidays, and transactions with memos containing potentially risky words. This tool will be applicable to the vast majority of audits conducted by our office saving significant time in data collection and manipulation. The analytics team is leveraging the Python programming language to collect and analyze years of journal entry data, a task that would likely be impossible using tools like Microsoft Excel, which are unable to handle such large quantities of data. From the outset of this project, input was received from auditors with strong financial backgrounds, and we continue to meet with audit staff to review and refine the tool. A prototype tool was completed and the final tool is close to completion. As well as providing valuable insights and saving time for audit teams, this tool will also serve as a helpful introduction to financial analysis for staff in the auditor's office without significant financial analysis experience. The tool provides a data dictionary and documentation to assist staff in understanding how financial transactions are recorded in the city's ERP system workday. In 2022, the analytics team has provided Arbutus, Excel, and attribute development trainings to upskill staff in the auditor's office. The team, along with our office's graphic design specialist, Jeff Newman, presented at the Orange County Public Schools Internal Audit Professional Development Conference, providing guidance on assessing data reliability and demonstrating how data visualization can be used to maximize the impact of analytics in an audit setting. At the National Association of State Controllers Conference and the Association of Government Accountants Annual Professional Development Training, the team provided insights into how workday ERP data can be collected and analysed efficiently, a topic of great importance as more and more governmental data is being stored in ERP systems. Thus far in 2022, the analytics team has provided assistance for two audits ran 32 automated scripts examining over 16 million records, offered five training sessions, and presented at three conferences. Looking forward, the team will work to complete the LCP tracker and journal entry analysis tool projects. Daniel has already discussed the current status of the LCP tracker project. For the journal entry analysis tool project, the Python code has been written, and we are currently working to create documentation that will enable audit staff to easily familiarize themselves with the data provided by the tool. Our next round of analytics projects will involve an analysis of payments into the Denver Employees Retirement Plan and an analysis of the procurement process used within the city. The analytics team will continue cross-training auditors to expand analytics skills within the office. Upcoming trainings include a statistical sampling training next month and Arbutus training in October and an attribute development training scheduled for November. This concludes our presentation. I'll now pause for any questions. Sam, I have a question really quickly. On your, 
journal entry analytics, do you plan on using any of that information that you develop your protocol on the airport with the uh, vendor transactions? Because there's a lot. I mean, it's just, I mean, just throwing that out. So I don't the, know if you are. Yeah, the, the Maybe analytics. Maybe it's a better question for Mr. Hunter. <laughs> well, the, the analytics do uh, cover any journal entry, and the airport's journal entries work their way into Workday. Okay. So they're within that population. But they're also an entity of their own, right? Yeah, we consider them like any other uh, department. So we'll, we can break it up by department, just like we would okay. you know, police department or the treasury. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. And the journal so entry analysis tool <clears throat> will take those analytics as well. And so not only will auditors get uh, a description of the analytics where they can set the scope, you know, if, if they're auditing the airport. You or can adjust it. They can adjust the, yeah, yeah. adjust the, the timeline and the parameters. And they'll, they'll get the description of where the, like, what ledger accounts are being used, um, where the debits and credits going, and also the list of risky transactions based on those analytics. Um, Rudy, just to be clear, we don't, our system does not include the vendor transactions at the airport. I mean, okay. if you buy a cup of coffee, that's at a point of sale system that the vendor owns. It does not feed itself into the city's financial records, except in an aggregated form. Okay. So, now I think, well, that's the subject of an audit that's upcoming in, I think, November. <laughs> so, yes. good no, question. Yeah, because yeah, I was trying to get that distinction between the two. I mean, if I buy a cup, cup of coffee there, right. I was assuming that somehow it might be journalized in Denver system, but somehow. Or, to the vendors, yes. I know the vendor would be the first person or line of, of uh, journal entry, and then it goes on. But it, that's a good clarification on this time. Yeah, we don't get the sub-ledger yeah. information. All right. Any other questions or comments? Great job. Uh, looking forward to continuing to challenge you and your skills and abilities. <clears throat> Earn your pay. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> next item is general business. Um, next audit committee meeting will be 9 a.m. on September the 15th in the Par Widener room. It will not be in this room, so uh, you can go to the usual location for it. Um, item six, executive session to discuss some of the external audit uh, ongoing uh, work, and that should be done in an executive session. So I would like to ask for a motion to go into executive session. So moved. Second. Okay. Any discussion? All in favor, say aye. Aye. Any opposed? We are in executive session. <laughs> I think my wife is out here somewhere, and sweetheart, I would like a speech like that for Father's Day. <laughs> um, 
It is now my